Hi, I'm your host Pratik Panda and you're listening to Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast by Philo. Here we talk to the best and brightest in influencer marketing to help answer all your questions from finding the right influencers to making sure you have the best influencer marketing strategy. So let's get started. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Impulse the Influencer Marketing Podcast. I have a very interesting guest today and joining us today is Christian Hansen. He's an adventurer, a serial entrepreneur and the mind behind the world's first scalable slow fashion system. As the founder and CEO of Slow, a fashion startup challenging fast fashion's norms, Christian is revolutionizing the industry by prioritizing function, fit and quality and sustainability above everything else. Before we get into our conversation today, please go ahead and hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss out on any of our latest episodes. Thanks again Christian for joining us. You know, it's great to have you here and I'm sure we're going to have a very fun conversation. Well, thank you. The pleasure is all mine. I appreciate it. Great. So, let's go ahead and get started, right? And one of the things that I love to ask my guests is one hot controversial take on influencer marketing. What is it something that you believe in? Maybe not everybody agrees to, but somewhere you think this is going to hold true. I would say that not every influencer can be a creator. And that I think is something that is a little bit controversial for people. But we talk a lot about influencer marketing and, and the idea of an influencer. And in some cases, there's a controversial kind of idea that comes with the idea of an influencer. And typically it's the very attractive influencer by the pool on vacation. And that's that. When the reality is that's not really the person that leads the market, that really that pushes influencer marketing. But now with the dawn of creator brands and the creator being as popular as the celebrity in some cases and having that same reach that you've never been able to create for yourself ever before. I believe that not every influencer is a creator, but I think every creator is an influencer and that's a little bit controversial. Yeah, that's an interesting take and let's get a little bit deeper into that, right? In your definition, what do you think is a creator and what do you think is a influencer? So I think that Influence at its core comes from opinion and opinion is a platform. And that's great, especially in today's date when we have, you know, more direct to consumer brands than ever and e-commerce is exploding at rates that we've just never seen before. And to be an influencer to me is to have an opinion on something and to monetize your opinion on that. If you are someone that enjoys fashion and I send you my jeans, you post a video giving me your opinion you've influenced someone potentially to buy my jeans. But I think there's a new brand of online persona that is the creator. And that's a person that isn't just monetizing their opinion. More often than not, they're very talented filmmakers. They're very talented on-camera personalities. Maybe they have a special skill set that really draws people into their content. And I call it content because it's just, to me, it's so different from just you know, posting your opinion on something. And that's not to say that either is better than another, but I think that it's very important to distinguish between creators and influencers. And that I think is really going to drive the future of influencer marketing that I think might see a rebrand in the future. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. And you mentioned a little bit about the explosive growth of direct-to-consumer brands and DTC brands, as we call it in short. Yours is one of those. And we'll 
talk a little bit about that. But DTC brands and marketers of DTC brands are also starting to see influencer marketing as one of the more important channels for growth. We'll get into all of that, but let's start a little bit about Slow and you're the founder and what was the idea behind Slow? So Slow, uh, you know, it was kind of an accident. I was already in the fashion industry. I had been working in sustainable fashion for a couple of years, but I went into a thrift shop in the middle of the pandemic and I was looking for some clothes and I bought a pair of jeans. They were on sale, like $7, you know, secondhand. I picked them up, but it was COVID, so I couldn't try them on. So I just picked up a bunch of things. I took them home. And the next thing I put those jeans on and I realized that they were women's jeans. And it blew my mind because, you know, I'm almost 6'4". If I find jeans that fit me, I almost never assume that they're women's jeans, but they had no pockets. The quality was horrible and I was really annoyed. And so I'm walking to the metro station. I don't have time to change. I'm like, I'm wearing these today. I walked to the metro station trying to put things in my pockets and there's just no pockets. And I had like 50 followers at the time. And I was like, I need to make a video about this. Maybe someone agrees with me. And so I just took my phone and I was like, Hey, everyone, I'm sorry, women of the world, if this is what you deal with, this is horrible. And by the time I got off the train, like an hour later, we were at like 300, 400,000 views and people were just piling into the comments saying, this is what we deal with. This is awful. And that's when I got this light bulb moment that was like, if this is what people want, we can make whatever they want. If they have a pain point, fashion is such an easy thing to fix. It's such an easy, adaptable market to scale. Let's give them what they want. And so I just made a TikTok and I said, hey, ladies of the world, if I made you jeans that had pockets, would you buy them? And that was the beginning of Slow. And we've now sold 10,000 pairs in our first year. That's amazing. And I think almost every woman would agree to that because either the jeans don't have pockets and then I've seen a bunch that have pockets, but they're not functional. Yeah. It's just a design element, which yeah, looks like a pocket, but yeah, they're <laughs> fake pockets. I'm like, what's happening here? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy and absolutely true, right? But let's talk a little bit about fast fashion, right? And you've been talking a little bit about sustainability and how you want to be more responsible. You're talking about fit and function and so many other things. What is fast fashion for everybody that's listening to this podcast? If they don't understand it, what is fast fashion? Why is it troubling? What is it doing to the environment? Sure. And so, you know, fast fashion is kind of a new term. It, it really started kind of in the early 2000s. Previously, you would see a big fashion brand, even the most successful brands in the world. Let's just take like a Levi's, for example, you know, the, the jeans company on earth, you know, have been for a hundred plus years. You know, they would put out three, four collections a year, you know, with the seasons. They would have a winter collection, they'd have a fall collection, they'd have a summer collection. That was pretty much it. And people didn't really consume clothing with the ideology of disposal. They bought a pair of jeans, they wanted it to last them 10 years. They bought a shirt and they wanted it to last them for years. Fast fashion really started with this ideology of we don't need to just make four collections a year. Let's make 10 collections. Let's make 20 collections. Let's make 30 collections. And so you now have fashion brands around the world. Some of the biggest brands on earth that are producing 50 collections a year. It's a collection per week. And it's created a culture and kind of an ideology of buy it where it wants, dispose of it. And They've drove the prices down from where a pair of jeans used to maybe be $50, $60, $70 in today's equivalents. And okay, hey, here's a $15 pair of jeans. Don't worry about it if they break in the wash. Don't worry about it. And that ideology has been incredibly dangerous for the world and for the environment. The fashion industry alone 
makes up for more carbon emissions than all of maritime shipping and air travel combined. About 11% of all the carbon emissions on Earth come from clothing. And we are just seeing disposal at a record. We're talking about trillions of pounds of garments. And in some cases, unsold. They'll make a collection of 100,000 pieces, sell 20,000 of them, and burn the remaining 80,000, all in the name of efficiency for speed, speed to market. And that's why we call it fast. It's all about being fast. It's not about thinking about the consequences for the consumer or for the world. And that's why we call ourselves slow, because we are the antithesis to that. We are everything opposite of that ideology. Yeah. In today's world, right, and we're talking about influencers as well, a lot of them are actually lifestyle influencers. And they talk about clothes, they talk about how they look, and it influences people that spend time on social media, right? And if you shop on brands like, like I have friends who are big fans of brands like Sheen, not to like tarnish their reputation, but I mean, they make great looking clothing, but again, it's fast fashion, doesn't last too long. Buyers also know it's not going to last too long. Everybody agrees to it, but it comes at a much lower price point. You can turn around your wardrobe pretty quickly and that's really the selling point here, right? You buy good looking things that you can turn around in two months, three months time, but it doesn't hurt your wallet. Considering that a lot of people are in that mindset, how do you introduce this concept of slow fashion or more sustainable clothing? And how have you gone about this entire process? So it's really about trying to find the middle ground, in my opinion, because, you know, we've had sustainable fashion brands for decades. You know, there've been sustainable fashion brands back to the 80s. And the biggest issue for me is that there's no such thing as sustainable fashion if it's not accessible. And if you look at the demographic of people that care the most right now about the environment, they're typically younger people. They're typically students or recent graduates or people who have really, they're starting, they're part of the generation, Gen Z like myself, who are like, whoa, our world is on fire and I have another 75 years to live on this planet. We need to get things moving. But those are also people that are the biggest consumers of fast fashion. And why? And really it comes down to money, like you're saying. You can build a wardrobe for a few hundred dollars, whereas if you go to a slow fashion brand, you might be buying one T-shirt for a few hundred dollars. And so our core goal was how do we build a system that creates the most sustainable goods that we can possibly create while also maintaining a price point that is accessible? Because without that accessible price point, to me, there's no solution. And so that's really been the core of what we've been trying to find is how do we make the best, most sustainable jeans in the world and price them under $100? Because that's right in line with the higher end fast fashion companies anyway. And those people are going out and spending that money. And our goal is to get cheaper, not get more expensive. Got it. That makes sense. And you know, you had some background with entrepreneurship and you've launched a bunch of other projects before. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how that's influenced your journey? Yeah, sure. I mean, I had a couple of different fashion brands over the years, some more successful than others, but kind of my core background was in, was in tech and was in data. And I realized that there was this huge opportunity to use user data and opinions. And I realized very quickly that people are very willing to give you their opinion. If you ask someone a question, they'll give you an answer. And so a couple of my other projects were solely about research, basically. How do we see how people use social media? How do we see how people view brands and how do they view, you know, governments and people? And where's the world's favor at? 
And we've tried to basically blend those topics, those conversations. And our brand is entirely built on the community and entirely built on community feedback. And so really that kind of entrepreneurial journey of project after project after project, you know, some again fell completely flat on their face and some did quite well and I just moved on. But every single project has led up to kind of a culminating moment that is now. And we're very fortunate to be kind of in the thick of the most fun part of it. Awesome. And you mentioned a little bit about community and, you know, you've been trying to advocate this whole democratization of the fashion industry, primarily through community-driven strategies. Let's talk about that a little bit more. And I was very fascinated to see your crowdfunding launch, right, where I think you gained like more than 10 million views on TikTok in the first two weeks. You yourself personally added like half a million followers to your account in a week or so. How was that entire experience? How did you go about planning it? Seems unconventional. Did you think that you're going to get results like this? And what happened? Walk us through that. Yeah, I mean, it was very calculated. It happened by accident, but I was fortunate to have spent a lot of time planning, if this happens, what am I going to do? And so, you know, the idea was always, how do we get as many people as possible to look at this? We got lucky on a viral video. I had no followers, and then all of a sudden I had followers. How do we now turn that luck into a calculated business plan and a calculated strategy? And how do we use that to continue to grow? And so, yeah, we had the first video. I did a million views on that first kind of video of, hey, sorry, women of the world. And then we got thinking, we're like, okay, look, there's a lot of people who are really pissed off with the fashion industry. They're really upset. They want someone to listen. And that's what I can do. I can listen. And so I just asked people for their opinions. I said, tell me what is wrong with jeans. Tell me what's wrong with fashion. Tell me what's wrong with anything that in your day-to-day -day bothers you about the clothes that you own. Those first months, I spent like six or seven hours a day answering comments and emails and DMs, and I would get hundreds of thousands of notifications on a weekly basis. But all of those people that I responded to are still members of my community to this day. And in some cases, they own five pairs of jeans because I listened to them. And I took their advice and their feedback, and I put it in the product, and they know it. They own jeans, and they're excited because they sent me a DM, and they're like, hey, I want a little pocket inside of the pocket. And I put a pocket inside of the pocket because people ask for it. And that's really been the whole goal. It's just as simple as tell me what you want. And if it makes sense and I can do it, I'll do it. And that really is at the core of it. And so in terms of what kind of happened and yeah, we've gained a half a million followers in the first 30 days. And my goal immediately was let's get everyone on an email list as fast as I possibly can. We got about 100,000 people on an email list. And now I knew I had them off of a platform in case I couldn't get them back on the platform if the algorithm completely disappeared. And we just built alongside them. I said, hey, what color do I make? Tell me the colors. You know, 20,000 people would answer that survey. Hey, should I make it with this or that? 20,000 people would answer that survey. And we did that for about six months. And then when we finally launched that product, it was like everyone's baby. They were a part of it from the beginning. They had given us that information. They'd seen it from that first accidental, I accidentally bought a pair of women's jeans to, hey, I made these. And that's what I think is really the definition of community. You hear people throw the word community around all the time. But for me, community means that people have a sense of ownership and they have a sense of ownership in the product, in the brand, and in the people behind it. And if they don't have that feeling of, I am a part of this, I 
and the reason that this brand is having some level of success, then it's not community, you have fans. Yeah, and I think that is the power of the community and I think you've pointed this out really well on the difference between a fan or a follower and a community member, right? Their intent to contribute to your growth and feeling that ownership. So if you are a DTC brand today and you want to focus more on community building, what is your suggestion on how to get started? I would go back to the roots of entrepreneurship. And you hear it's very kind of stereotypical of what is really the core of being an entrepreneur and it's just solving problems. And I would look for a problem within whatever industry you're in. Look for the problem that's paining the most people because there's nobody that wants to talk to you more than someone who is annoyed about something. They just want to be heard about it. You know, they in their kitchen have been doing the something with an appliance and it's been bothering them for two years. And if you come and say, hey, tell me about how that bothers you, it will tell you everything. They want it so badly. They want someone to listen to them. And so really, to me, the root of community comes from problem solving. And it comes from what is the problem that we are really solving at our core? And if you can't answer that question, then you need to re-examine your business model anyway. But really, the core is what is the problem and how can I get as many people as possible to tell me about how that problem affects them? Those people are now your first community members. And if you can develop a personal relationship with those people, they are going to bring their friends and family. They are going to bring everybody on board. You hear it a lot with startups. Okay, everything's about scale. This is not scalable. Community building in the early stages is not very scalable. It's a lot of work for not a lot of results at the beginning. But once you lay that foundation, it's the most scalable thing in the world. And that's really the core of it that I think I wish I had known a little bit more of early on. But I think that that's really what differentiates. And the first thing that I would do if I was starting a brand new project, go back to problems. Yeah, that is very helpful. Do you think influencers can play a role in helping you build your community? Totally, because they have a community. And it's a different kind of community because I would say that the influencer community is based on trust more than it's based on problems. It's based on, I like this person's opinions. I feel like this person isn't, you know, selling out to any brand that wants them on here. They're picking the brands they work with. And when an influencer has a strong community or even a strong follower base, like we've talked about the difference between a community and a follower, even just having a very strong follower base, if that base of followers aligns with what you are envisioning your community to look like as a company, to get the spokesperson of that group on your side is incredibly valuable, incredibly valuable. And we've seen that ourselves. You know, we had early on, I had a couple of questions that I physically could not answer. I am not a woman. I was trying to solve problems for plus size genes. I'm not a plus size individual. I went straight to every influencer that I could find that was talking about plus size fashion. And I said, hey, this is the problem that I'm trying to solve. It's very important to your community. Would you be willing to just ask your community some questions for me? I'm not asking you to try my jeans. I'm not asking for you to post anything. You don't even have to mention me or my company. You know, I just want answers to the question. And I did that with all sorts of influencers. And that data was so valuable. And those influencers were then very willing to work with us. And a lot of those people from their communities joined our communities because they aligned. And I think alignment is the most important thing. If you're an influencer or you want to work with influencers, it's not just about, oh, you know, Christian's got a million followers. Let's go and let's sign him up. No, 
follower count is one teeny tiny little metric. If my community does not align with your community, you are wasting your money. And I think that's really the big key for community bridging per se. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think the example that you shared is really spot on to get this thought out there. And I hope it registers well with people who are listening, because end of the day, it's not really so much about the follower count. And approaching an influencer is not just about promotion, right? And I think as marketers and as founders, we tend to think that, hey, if I'm going to somebody and who has a big following, I want to make the maximum out of it and build visibility, build reach and so on, right? But getting that essential data that makes your product better or even tells you what you should be building is equally, if not more valuable than getting the word out. So I really appreciate you sharing that example where there's no need to really mention your brand or yourself, which might actually get the influencer a little iffy that, hey, I mean, I'm not getting paid and you want me to do this. Whereas if you really connect well with their community and the problems that they are facing, that's what motivates an influencer to create content as well, right? And it gives them an opportunity to engage with their community and they would be more than willing to do that. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't really consider myself an influencer, but I'm fortunate I have a large following. I get approached by brands every single day. And I have to laugh at some of them. It's just, it's hilarious. I get fast fashion companies that reach out to me that are like, hey, you want to try our collection? I'm like, I am literally your enemy. Why are you reaching out to me? And it's hilarious. But I, as an influencer, I want to bring value to my community. And that's all influencers want to do. And so if you're a brand owner from your perspective and you're trying to hire me as an influencer, you're trying to hire an influencer. You are not just hiring them and renting their feed. That's like the core number one thing. My feed is not for sale. My community is not for sale. And any good influencer's community is not for sale. Anyone who just takes anybody's stuff, you're not going to get ROI on that anyway, because that community is not really engaged. Those people aren't really engaged. So it's really, really, really key that when you approach someone, as an influencer, you are providing them value and you're providing their community value. And you're saying, hey, I really think that my product makes a lot of sense with the people who follow you. And this is why. And if you approach me like that and you say, hey, Christian, you do sustainability. We do sustainability. I am a direct-to-consumer organic coffee brand. You drink a lot of coffee in your videos and you know, you start most of your videos in the morning with espresso. We make great espresso. It's direct to consumer. It's really good. Would you consider, you know, trying it? Fantastic. 10 out of 10 times I will do that. But that to me is where the biggest disconnect is with brands is they just, they build a roster. It's as many people as they possibly can with the biggest following numbers as possible. And they spend a ton of money. And at the end of it, they go, influencer marketing doesn't work. I just spent $25,000 and I got no ROI. It didn't work. No, you placed all of your eggs in the wrong basket. And that's where I would really say the biggest issue is in that regard. Makes sense. You also mentioned a little bit about the platform and what roles they play, right? And you talked about you wanting to quickly move a lot of your followers to an email list, right? So that you reduce the platform dependency. So let's talk about that a little bit more, right? As marketers we are and as founders, we are trying to build visibility across different platforms. All platforms have a fair amount of difference in a variety of different aspects as well, whether it is the kind of people that are active on those platforms, the kind of content that works better. So how do you go about 
strategizing, which platforms to focus on, and how much effort you want to put in building community on each of those platforms? Yeah, I mean, for me, TikTok is the strongest platform on earth. To me, there's just no platform that has the organic reach capability that TikTok does. Because it's not even just organic reach, because I can put something on YouTube shorts and it can do 10 million views. I can put something on reels, it can do 10 million views. There's an element of the type of person who comes onto TikTok. And more often than not, and most people who are listening to this, they would understand People spend a lot of time on TikTok and they invest a lot of energy into TikTok. I, at least personally, have always, even before I was posting myself, I always commented more on TikToks. I always basically spent more time re-watching videos. You're kind of more in the zone. And I've noticed that throughout the years is we've always been waiting for that platform. And to me, TikTok is that platform. So I make all my content on TikTok first. But everything is about driving people to an email list. Because if I have your email and I can kind of build a profile on who you are, where you are, maybe your opinions or whatever question it is you're answering to get on my email list, I can segment emails better for you. I'm not relying on you finding my next video. And that's really key. From there, we'll hit other platforms. I'll send you an email and I'll say, hey, 20% off coupon if you follow us on Instagram, stuff like that. But whatever it is, I think you have to have your primary platform and then everything needs to be getting to email. And email feels so archaic these days, but it's dependable, it's reliable, and people check it and people buy from their emails. They buy from emails. They don't convert as well from social media as they do from emails. And so if you're a company that's trying to sell something, your entire goal should be, how do I get as many of my followers as possible on an email list because they will then come to your website and you will then be able to convert them. That's my philosophy, at least. And we've managed to do that so far. We've done about 800,000 followers on TikTok. We got about 150,000 of those people to sign up for our email list. And we've managed to convert about 10,000 of those people to customers. And I would not have converted 10,000 people on TikTok alone to customers. No chance, zero chance. That makes sense. And I think, you know, we need to establish that. I've seen a lot of posts by people, email is dead. No, email is not dead. It is not dying anytime soon, right? And I know people are trying to disrupt the whole email space and, you know, what needs to come into your mailbox versus not. But email is not going anywhere and you need to capitalize your audience well and capture them effectively on email because that's where you'll be able to connect with them irrespective of whatever platform is their favorite platform today. And the platforms are going to continue to evolve and change. Email has been around a long time and looks like it's going to be staying for a long time as well. I agree. I mean, everyone has an email address. Everyone knows their email address and everyone checks their email. I have a Twitter account I haven't checked in like three months. It is what it is. You come and you go, right? Okay, maybe I'm really big on TikTok this month and maybe I'm not and maybe I miss a video and maybe I don't. You know, you talk about it a lot in paid ads where people talk about touch points. You know, there's a lot of theories on touch points where you need to show a consumer five or six ads before they're willing to buy. I do believe in touch points, but why would you not want to do them organically? Why would you pay? Why would you rent Facebook or rent Instagram ad space and pay, you know, Mark Zuckerberg up there and say, hey, Mark, here's your money. When I can just send five or six emails, you've got them. They'll open it, make it engaging, ask them a question, 
the amount of times we've sent out marketing emails, but we started with a question, reply to this email with blank, and I'm going to pick a random person. I'm going to give you a genes. We'll get like 5% of people responding. Now that's a touch point. And you can't do that if you don't have that list. That's all I'm basically getting at. And it's free touch points. Get your touch points. Yeah, spot on. For your fellow startup founders, you know, who are exploring community-driven growth, how can they leverage influencer marketing to amplify some of this effort and what advice you would give? I would definitely, again, go back to quality over quantity. It's not about finding the biggest, heaviest hitting 10 million, you know, mega subscribed YouTuber. Find people that really resonate with the niche that you're building. Reach out to them and develop a partnership because they want to bring value. You want to bring value. Maybe there's a way that you can work with that person for free if there's a way that that person can also benefit. You know, we've reached out to people and said, hey, look, I'll make jeans with you. And we're working on this right now. Hey, you like, you have really cool, interesting style. You wear a lot of denim. I like your community. I'll make a pair of jeans for you that we can launch to your followers. I'll give you X percentage of sales. What do you think about that? And that's a partnership. And that partnership is so much more real than, hey, here's $500. Post my thing on your platform. And so to entrepreneurs, to startup founders, to DDC marketing managers, you know, stop being so worried about how much money you're investing in the scale of your campaign and ask yourself, why is the person who's making this content talking about your product? Why does their community care about them? Why do people listen to me? I ramble on a microphone and people comment and they're with me. Why are they with me? And if a marketing manager could answer that question, they would know why I'm a good fit for them or why I'm not a good fit for them. Take an influencer and ask yourself, why does their community like them? And that's important because, and I'll give you an example. A few years ago, I had a friend who was running influencer marketing campaigns and they were selling a women's product. It was like jewelry. And they had this huge, amazing influencer list of all of these incredibly attractive influencers out in LA. They had a big event, the whole nine yards, huge amount of followers, like 30 or 40, 50 million followers represented. They spent like $100,000 on the campaign and they converted like 20 sales. And it was because nine out of 10 of all of their followers were just men who found them attractive. They just followed them because they're an attractive influencer living in Los Angeles. They were not the target audience. They were not women. And so they posted, oh, this jewelry brand, this jewelry brand. The guy didn't care. He just wanted to look at a beautiful woman. And that's where I started to look at, okay, if you are building a campaign, who is receiving that campaign and why do they care? And if you can answer those two questions with certainty, your campaign is going to be fantastic. Yeah, I think that is spot on. And, you know, as I'm talking to more brands as well and marketers from brands, I think everybody who's trying to explore influencer marketing is facing this as the biggest challenge, right? Like you have to go a lot deeper in understanding why a particular influencer is right for your brand and has rarely anything to do with how many followers they have. Even though that might seem like the first thing you look at, it depends a lot more on engagement, demographics, what part of the world are their followers from and are they even right for you? All those things matter a lot more than how big of an influencer they are. Absolutely. All right. One fun question before we wrap up for today. If you had the chance to take an influencer out to lunch, who would that person be and why? Kind of more of a creator, but I would say Mr. Beast. 
I think this guy's brilliant. I think he's the definition of someone who's cracked the code on the algorithms of every platform. And a lot of people just say, oh, it's easy to do that when you're giving away a million dollars every video. And it is, this is not true at all. There's plenty of bad YouTubers that give away lots of money. There's plenty of bad brands that do crazy giveaways, you know, cars and vacations that get no engagement. This guy has figured out a group of people, the recipe for that content, for that group of people. And I would love to pick his brain on how he figured it all out because to me, he's the definition of a creator and the creator brands that are coming out of it to me are the future of e-commerce. And so that's probably my answer. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Beast is amazing and we have a community-driven initiative that we support called Thousand Faces Club and they've been trying to sit down and look at a lot of his interviews to understand also that how is he thinking about these videos, right? And what you talked about, right, that he has figured out how the algorithm works, he's identified a set of audiences that work best for him, that helps him define what kind of videos he wants to create. But he also keeps talking about what we see on YouTube, what gets published is not even half of what he creates. So he creates a lot more, then realizes, oh, this is crap. And he's spent a lot of money on it, but he's like, okay, whatever, this is not going to work. And you go think about some other idea until you get a really good one. And more often than not, I think we look at his huge numbers in terms of engagement today. And we think that, oh, he's just throwing money and that's why it's easy. You cannot be far from the truth there, right? And the amount of effort that goes behind the scenes to get there. Agreed, absolutely. If you do end up going to lunch with him, please let me know. We would want to <laughs> come back and find out what you had a chat with him about, right? And it would be fun to talk about that. But Christian, this was great. This was fun. It was a lot of fun. And I think there's a lot of takeaways also from this conversation, not just for DTC brand marketers, but in general, anybody who's thinking about building communities, using influencers as a channel to build communities. End of the day, I think you have to understand your audience well, you have to understand their pain points well, and you have to be part of the community as well. So that's what's going to get you there. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Yeah, no, thanks for the opportunity. I had a lot of fun, so I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Christian. Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast is brought to you by Philo. Philo is the easiest way to get access to authenticated creator data from hundreds of different platforms. To know more about Philo, visit getphilo.com. That's get, P-H-Y-L-L-O.com. Also, make sure to search for Influencer Marketing Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast listing platforms. And don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Philo, thank you so much for listening.